Hey, it's Steve and welcome to Share, a podcast that sets out to do just that. From stories and reflections to ideas and concepts, each episode will dive into a wide range of topics and discussions that come from a journey through life. The simple fact I've discovered is when we share, we empower, not just ourselves, but each other. Are you planning your next holiday? Let the team at Mind and Body Travel inspire you. With a focus on wellness and well-being, the team at Mind and Body Travel can assist you whether you're looking to attend a retreat, test yourself on an adventure, tick off that bucket list trip, or just create a travel itinerary that includes all that you want in a holiday while taking into account all that your mind and body needs. Revolutionising the way people look at holidays and travel, they believe that travel should deliver nourishment for your soul, clarity for your mind, and renewed focus upon your return. So you ready to take off? Then it's time to check in with the team at Mind and Body Travel. Just visit www.mindandbodytravel.com. In this week's episode, I invited someone on that has such a strong knowledge, experience, and unwavering passion when it comes to mental health. As the founder and director of Inform Mental Health, he's an accredited mental health first aid facilitator and also delivers sessions to parents and kids on behalf of Dolly's Dream. His reflections and insights through his work in elite sport, his time spent in student accommodation and throughout his personal life and career are so valuable, I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to catch up and for him to share with us all. As October is Mental Health Month in Australia and this week is Mental Health Awareness Week, this conversation is so relevant and provides practical tips and information when it comes to dealing with and experiencing mental health challenges. It's both an honour and a privilege to introduce you to my friend and today's guest, Wade Hurst. Wade, welcome to Share. Lovely. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to it. We met when I did the Mental Health First Aid course. You were the instructor and I thought, I've got to get you on the podcast. Thank you. Good to get some of those really cool connections, particularly through the course. And yeah, it was awesome to meet you and everyone else. No no pressure. I had you with such great life experiences. I think we had a just newly graduated psychologist in the course as well. So I sort of early on thought, oh, here we go, we be under the pump here, but turned out all all right, I think. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was actually a fantastic group in, in beautiful surroundings there as well in the place office. Yeah, it's good. Once you get people that are keen to share and create that comfortable environment, I think that's the most important thing. And then, yeah, as I said in the course, you know, sharing people's experiences and talking about it more than looking at the screen and content, I feel, is always the best way to go. So that was really good, really enjoyable from my perspective. And I always know when time flies by that it, it was good. So, yeah, it certainly went pretty quick, the two days together, which was great. Yeah, that's good. Now, October is Mental Health Month. Yes. And when this podcast episode launches, it'll be Mental Health Awareness Week, which is obviously an important month and an important topic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And similar to RUAK Day recently, I was lucky enough to speak in an event for Place Real Estate and looking at that's that's really one day where we can draw some attention to it as is Mental Health Month as well, which is a good opportunity just to remind us all to do the right thing and check in on those around us, but also check what we're doing to look after ourselves, I think is is most important in trying to make sure we know the ways of how we can help those around us, which I think is is most important as well, which was where the mental health first aid comes into it, being able to learn those skills to be able to do that. So yeah, so hopefully there'll be, you know, a lot of activities, a lot of opportunity. Hopefully for me, people use it as an opportunity to get some education if they feel they might not know how to have some of those conversations or may not regularly check in on people but be able to to do that as well which is great so yeah i'm really looking forward to it should be um should be great awesome 
Well, I definitely want to dive into your insights and your knowledge and through your experience with mental health. But I thought I'd start just by asking you to give a bit of a snapshot on your journey, Wade. Yes. Uh, so f- fairly long one career-wise and probably a few years ago wouldn't have pictured that I would be a mental health first aid facilitator, facilitator for my own business, for a couple of other businesses and also facilitator with Dolly's Dream as well, which is a charity that does a lot of great work around bullying in schools and, and being kind and, and the premise of always being kind. So yeah, I definitely didn't think I would end up here, but yeah, started out in, in sport and rec industry many, many moons ago when we started working much younger and had some exposure to more so through elite sport and some programs and, and some of the programs that we, we conducted was the sort of first look into mental illness and, and mental health. I then had a redundancy in that role and then moved into student accommodation, which was a really steep learning curve for me, you know. I would always say to people, half of my role was having really great activities to build community, make everyone feel welcome. The other half of the role was part-time counsellor and looking after people in, in a pastoral care role and making sure that they were getting the support they needed. As we know, our mental health system is sometimes not able to cater for everyone, so became the person who might have got them through to their next appointment at, at Headspace or with a psychologist and those types of things. So then... Yeah, I was doing that for several years. COVID came along, uh, was in a building with, with Uni Lodge in Brisbane where we went from about 1,500 residents to back to 400 or 500 almost almost overnight. So unfortunately, there wasn't really that role for me to have to care and cater for many people. So that was my first redundancy, the first of a few across the next couple of years. And in those roles, I, I would always have my emergency response staff or my residential advisors that they're called in student accommodation, trained in mental health first aid. You know, most of them were only 18 through to sometimes you get a couple of older ones that might have been 24 or 25. So for them to go through and learn how to respond to someone who might have been going through a crisis or developing a mental illness, I would actually get them accredited in, in mental health first aid. And, and I distinctly remember a couple of times we were, we were allocated people either through the university or through health agencies. And, and there was one course particularly that, that stood out for me where I had a few of my staff sort of come after day one and say, I, I couldn't come back for day two. That was too taxing. It was delivered so dryly and really couldn't get into it. So I'd sort of said to people from that point on, there's, there's got to be a better way of delivering this information and being able to talk it through and make it make it relevant for, for young people. And then essentially over, over a period of about eight months, I was after that redundancy picked up a contract working for Centrelink in a call center. Really interesting experience. Um, a lot of varying levels of experience of the people that I worked with or had I had working for me, international pilots, cabin crew, travel agents, all sorts of people. And I suppose in that time, probably ticked over about what's next and what, what do you do next after this? It was going to end in, in eight months' time. And I had the thought of going and getting my accreditation to, to deliver the course, Mental Health First Aid, and that I could, I'm happy to talk in front of people. I'm happy to speak. I had some reasonable experience from my time in student accommodation, going through a couple of personal things around that time as well. So yeah, I thought that would be, would be a a good way to go. Once that contract finished, I did take a full-time role for another 12 months. I was probably that old thing of not being ready to jump just yet 
always having ingrained probably in me to have some financial stability. You had to always pay the bills. So you couldn't just say, I'm not going to work anymore, do a course and then go out and deliver. So that role then became redundant as well. And that was a real catalyst to then go, all right, I should probably jump jump into this. And with the support of my wonderful partner, and she was said, yep, you need to go and do this, something that you want to do and that you, you're passionate about. I'm lucky to have had a couple of really strong influences. Cherie Canning from Luminate Leadership, who I worked with, at the end of that seven months, she was taking the leap to jump into her own business and go, I don't have a job now and I'm starting this thing out. I believe in it. So I think I watched their progression over nine or 12 months and thought if I can have a small amount of success that those guys did, it might work out and it, it might be something that works out. So yeah, jumped in, did the course and was able to deliver a couple of courses, whether it be through my own business, picked up some work with an EAP as well. And I think I'm 20 or 25 courses in now i think so yeah and still really enjoying it every course is is different they have varying levels of people's experience that you know most people are happy to share yeah just seeing what people get out of it is is the most important thing so yeah that's sort of a hopefully a snapshot not too long a shot of how i got here yeah and really enjoying doing it like i say i think the, the keys having people come into the course before it to say I'm, I'm not comfortable to say to someone, are you okay? Or I've noticed something's going wrong to then be able to take the next steps. And by the end of the course, to be able to go I'm absolutely confident. And, and for some people, and I say it during the course, after day one, most people will actually go and do it that night and say, gosh, I've really got someone in mind now who I know I need to check in on, that they may need some help. So yeah, so so rewarding to to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome snapshot. Thanks, Wade. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> you, you're a man of many hats, as I was saying earlier. Yeah, definitely. Doing that across a few, the mental health first aid deliveries uh, across three different companies, um, the work with Dolly's Dream as well, which is which I find really impactful too. Um, that was just a lucky opportunity through a, an instructor's network that they were had put a call out for instructors and quite keen and my kids are 14 and 12 soon so they're going through all of that at school and if anything it's probably armed me with more information around technology and some of the dangers and and what can happen with that it's been one of the biggest benefits of doing it but then being able to share that knowledge with school kids as well which which is really helpful to be able to do that And, and again really enjoying and rewarding and People always say if it's something you really enjoy, it doesn't really become a job, which is pretty true. It's really enjoyable and rewarding to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And I definitely want to ask you on some of those, the Dolly's Dream, your role with that. But first, when it comes to mental health, you've had the experience through elite sport, student accommodation, obviously various workplaces. What are some of your reflections on mental health in the workplace or in, in sport or just in society overall? Yeah, particularly doing this work, especially within the, within the workplaces, I think it's something that a lot of places have a bit of a focus on or some places that see, you know, the AUAK day, hey, we're, we're promoting that people should check in on each other and we'll have a big morning tea and, and get together. And as I always say, it's the next two or three slides behind the are you okay that are the most important ones and are you arming your staff with the abilities and weapons to be able to assist someone to be able to say, okay, well, if you're not doing so well, you know, I know a bit of information about this, 
um, and maybe I can I can help you out. And, and certainly in going through and working with particular organisations, you know, some of some organisations don't have it as high up on the list as what others do. And for those that do have it high on their list and, and, and are accrediting some of their staff, that there's lots of stats and information around how much more productive a workforce will be if they feel they work in a mentally healthy workplace, a, a large reduction in leave, whether that be personal leave, sick leave, whatever places call it at the moment, um, but a reduction in leave based on having a mentally healthy workplace as well. So, so it's really important. And now that the psychosocial risk side of things has come into it in terms of workplace health and safety. It really needs to be something that, that workplaces focus on. And that's in some of my conversations with workplaces to say, hey, this is really, really important, but it might not be as important as the sales training, as the personality profiling, as the leadership training, as the staff management training. And then we might consider you know, some mental health training as well. Whereas all those other things that you might do probably you know, almost first stem from having a really mentally healthy, healthy workplace. And the, the stigma attached to, you know, mental illness and, and, and mental health. And for me, just the understanding around what some of the mental illnesses are, what some of the conditions are. You know, I, I find there's a lot of people out there who don't quite understand what that means for the person going through it. And, and without having that knowledge, then it's, it's much harder to to help and assist the person if you don't have really good understanding of yourself. And I think it's it's turning. Certainly have a lot more awareness programs, more particular days, more focus on some of the mental health and mental illness side of things as well. But certainly for me, I think it should be certainly something that's top of the list for, for organisations to and, and it's one of those really hard things I always say to people. Once people come and do the course and become accredited, they go, everyone in our workplace has got to do this. Like, we're just sending everyone. Everyone's got to do it. It's so important. But from the other end in my conversations with organizations, it's like, yeah, we might send one or two people. We'll get a feel for it and see what it's like. And it's just trying to get to that point. But just for people to see the benefit before they've gone through and completed it as well. And all the content within it is is so important and the practical ways to respond are, are amazing. And I, I will always say to groups, I'll guarantee you after the two days, you will feel comfortable being able to do that. Even if you've never had that conversation before, you'll have the right tools to be able to, yeah. So that probably leads to what is mental health first aid? Yeah, mental health first aid's uh, training provided that will allow people to learn the tools to be able to assist someone who might be developing a mental illness or have a worsening of a mental illness, but also to be able to respond to any crisis situation that person might be going through at that particular point in time. And, and I always say we make it legislated that we have you know physical first aiders within our workplace. And again, I would think that you're probably more likely to come in contact with a customer or a staff member that's having a panic attack as opposed to having to do CPR for a heart attack or someone that falls over and breaks their arm. We legislate for one, we don't for the other just yet. Hopefully that might happen at, at some point in time, but very similarly, mental health first aid doesn't make you a practitioner, it doesn't make you a doctor, you can't diagnose people, you can't prescribe medication, can't necessarily help people out directly through you, but it's similar to physical first aid. If you find someone who's unwell, you can respond and you can help that person out until they seek further help and very much the same for, for mental health as well and gives a really good foundation for recognising when someone's becoming unwell 
And I think that's one of the key components of the course because a lot of people will say, hey, well, no, people have bad times or go through some stuff, but how do I actually know that they might be developing depression, anxiety, or a substance use problem? And, and being able to go, hey, well, over a certain period of time, which we can define certain characteristics that they might be showing and what effect that's having in their life can be some of those really key things. And you do see people during the course go, and someone pops to someone's mind straight away and sort of people go, oh, I've got to check in on that person because now that makes sense why they might be that way and I probably haven't responded as I should have so far. So certainly it gives people those skills and that education and understanding around mental illnesses and and, and, and a different perspective too because you do have people who still in some of the courses will, you know, say, oh, well, I thought anxiety was something that you had a choice to do, like, if you get a stimulus and you start sweating, that's your choice to start sweating or to start feeling sick. And that's once you explain that the person doesn't have any control over that, that is something that the body just does and, and takes over. And feeling of being down through depression isn't something that you could just say to someone, you just be more positive, you'll get through it. It's actually a feeling, a feeling that person has and the impact it has on their life. Yeah, so some really good tools around being able to equip people to be able to assist and help and have that conversation and have a result from the conversation other than, are you okay? No, I'm not. Okay, well, I'm not sure what I can do, but I hope you get better and I'll, I'll check, in, check in on you um, to more so, okay, well, how long have you been feeling that way? What impacts it having on you? Have you considered seeing someone? Have you spoken to your GP? Here's some really good supports. Here's some things you can do yourself to make yourself feel better. And I'm here to help you out whenever you need it. And that's essentially how that, that conversation plays out. And through mental health, obviously, a lot of the time it, it's very lonely. So yeah. I think doing the mental health first aid and going through that process, one of the key things is really just showing someone that you're there for them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the listening and communicating non-judgmentally is is a key part of it and particularly for us and certainly in my experiences and my life for us blokes, we don't do it so well. So most won't be sort of forthcoming with that information and, and will potentially suffer or become worse in, in silence. And once you have this skill to see that someone might be unwell to then just go, hey, things don't seem like they have been or things are a little bit different, like what's going on? Um, do you want to have a chat about it? Or, you know, can I provide any assistance? Certainly for males amongst us, where whether that's traditionally in our lives, how we've been brought up to just soldier on and you'll get through it and you've got to be a bit tougher and you've got to be a bit more resilient. And sometimes that conversation for people's the key thing to getting them getting them help and getting them, getting them better, which is the most important thing, yeah. And reducing some of the stigma in society, mental health is very much, and I think it's probably why organisations to a certain point go, oh, we'll, we'll just, we'll do leadership training and we'll do management training and time management training and all these things. But yeah. it, it's, it's probably one of those things that organisations are fearful of opening a can of worms, I suppose. Yeah, it can be a little bit. Yeah. And, and again, it depends on what people's leave requirements are and, and, and arrangements and talk of had numerous conversations with organizations to say, hey, you know, if I needed some time out and I needed to perform my role better and I needed some time off for a mental health day, for me, my thing is, you know, being in the ocean, going for a swim or doing that, that can reset me a lot. So to have that conversation and say, hey, would you be okay if someone said to you they're going to be 
way more productive for the rest of the week and next week if they have today off and go and get themselves right. For the mental health side of things, it's sort of only something that's starting to change now to be something that's okay or that might actually be considered. But if we said, um, my asthma is playing up really badly today, I need a, need a day at home to rest, rest my lungs so I can be better for the rest of the week, we'd just, we just go, yep, no worries. That's, that's fine, of course. So yeah. So, and again, it is that old school and the old way of looking at it to go, if we make everyone's work enjoyable, then Surely they'll be okay and we don't have, potentially it hasn't happened before or been recognised before. People should deal with that in their own time or is it something that, that comes into the workplace as well? But tying back to that psychosocial risk now in terms of things that might happen within the workplace and some of those can be not only bullying and harassment, discrimination, but can now be workload, time spent at work, work-life balance, which is really important. So again, getting ahead of ahead of that is is really key and another good example is if we've got cords on the ground we test and tag them and take them down so we have risk mitigation for some of those physical risks but we need to put some of those in place for some of those mental health ones as well that will come under part of that psychosocial risk yeah and Tell me, you shared some of the statistics at the mental health first aid what are some of those statistics there that people may not know uh, yeah, so there's, there's, there's plenty and ABS have just in the last week brought out some more of their 2022 rates of suicide and which was, which was really interesting to have a, a look through and certainly a, a small increase, but we still sit at 75.6% of deaths by suicide in Australia are males. So we, we need to do better in that in that category we know one in five will be currently suffering from a, a mental illness and that increases to almost three in five people will um, suffer from a mental illness throughout their lifetime and that's something that they actually seek assistance or treatment for as well and that can be some of the basic sort of statistics that can you know help some of your conversations to say and i certainly say it to mates of mine to say hey well you're not alone. Like, uh, you know, during someone's lifetime, almost three out of five people will feel the way you're feeling now. So don't think that you're one in a thousand or one in a million that there's something wrong with you or that you're not allowed to feel this way. It's quite common. Uh, and it is quite a common thing. And that can really help someone and assist them and settle them in those particular, particular instances. So yeah, it's definitely fairly common and through whether that be through an anxiety disorder or depressive disorder or substance use as well. So, and, and they're the ones that make up that 20% of the population who are currently suffering with, with one of those mental illnesses. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, we've got more awareness. We've got, are you okay day? We've got weeks, months, we've got so many things that are being implemented these days, but the statistics aren't dropping. Yeah, uh, they're not. And and maybe there might be some of that that hopefully more people are seeking the help that they need and potentially the rate of diagnosis might be increasing and that may be exponentially ahead of that, not decreasing, I suppose, the statistics of what, of what they currently are. So I think... Having those days, having that awareness, having those campaigns is certainly helping helping with that. And I think that's leading to potentially more people being diagnosed or being able to get, get help and get assistance. So given the numbers that are doing that, I would think that exponentially that would be more our statistics, but it doesn't seem to be growing with that. So hopefully the understanding around it and people being, we want people to 
seek some assistance and get the support they need to to be better. And and as you know, you'll hear people talk about their mental health journey. It's not to say that once you've had a bout of anxiety or depression and you feel better, that that's it. That that can come in waves. It's the same with our physical health. I'm an asthmatic. If I take my medication, I do the right things, exercising, eat the right things. For the most part, I'll be okay. I'm, I'm fairly well. But if I let any of those things slip, my asthma can get worse and I'll become unwell. Very similarly for anxiety, depression, not doing the right things, letting some of those things slip can mean the person then again becomes unwell. So yeah, so it's about trying to recognize some of those things so that we can get the people help and put some strategies in place to say, hey, you've been through that. But if you do these things, then you can lead a you know fulfilling and successful life and what we perceive to be a normal, normal life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I share my journey. I burnt out in 2018 and I've yeah. gone through a, a journey, still going through that journey in, in many regards. And it is something, whether it's anxiety, depression, it's, it can be an ongoing journey. It can, some people can recover. Some people still go through it. Some people have it short-term, mid-term. Some people have it long-term. So it's about understanding that as well. Mm. Yeah. And, and yeah, a good, good example a mate of mine who probably through my student accommodation days heard his story for the first time many, many years ago and just in sharing that. But, you know, in our regular conversation, it's a regular check-in to go, how you going, mate? He'll, you know, regularly post on his socials that he got down to the gym to go and and do his session, which is one of those things he needs to keep doing to, to stay well. And I think when people share some of that stuff, I think that's as important as well to say, I actually need this right now so that I can continue to be well. I've shared my story to say I was really unwell at one point. I've gotten myself to a point where I can, I can be well and, 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 you know, mix regularly sharing his journey and, and still educating people around, around mental health and, and sort of what he went through. But yeah, it's always a good touch in to just go, Hey mate, how you doing? What's going on? Or if you don't see much for a while, just to, to check in. And that's, that's a, key one as well for people around us to keep checking in on them to to see how they're going and making sure that they're going okay yeah yeah and when we think of the statistics and we think of the awareness and we think of there's a lot more people even in the elite sport even in celebrity status these days that are sharing openly their mental health struggles i suppose or their journey which is which i found really really good yeah and i think when you look at those statistics as well, and I remember sitting in the mental health first aid course that you instructed, and and I thought, we need more mental health first aiders out there because I actually think having more mental health first aiders out there, more people being aware, more people getting support, hopefully over time those statistics will come down. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I th- and I think they will, and I think those that are that are currently going through something will hopefully come down. Potentially, it might be that the statistics go up for those people who have experienced something in their lifetime because for those who may not have said anything for so many years may then actually go and get the help to go, you know what, I haven't just been a cranky, feeling down, you know, annoying person for a a few years. Maybe I'm suffering from depression, which will create the statistic, but then also be someone who's on a journey that is, is now well. And I think... Over time, you know, that might be something I'd love to see as part of our statistics to say what percentage of people have suffered from a mental illness, but of that percentage, what percentage of those people are currently well and doing okay and and doing the right things to look after themselves? Because as you say, once a 
once the stats there and we say four out of five people in their lifetime have suffered a mental illness we go wow that stats keeps going up but that might be where it is actually now but given it's not diagnosed or that people aren't talking about it or getting help that maybe that stat goes up but then we can maybe say okay well of those four out of five is it one out of five now that are currently suffering through that or another four out of five doing the right things to look after themselves which again that'll be a big a big change in how we report and what we do, but so will having mental health first aid legislated in the workplace to have people that are accredited within your workplace like we do physical first aid. And, I, and yeah, uh, to me it's obvious it seems as important or if not more important, like I say from my examples and from what I've seen in workplaces, you don't, uh, yeah, I couldn't imagine or think of the times where I've known of the physical first aider in particularly corporate office environments that have had to respond to any particular incidents with, that would be more than what they would for someone who's developing anxiety, depression, or having a panic attack, or having a really bad day and thoughts of suicide or something like that as well. So the optimist in me says, hopefully that'll happen within five years, but I would think it's five to 10 years away at best, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to ask you, Wade, if there's people in a workplace or a friend or a family member that someone looking at and kind of going, I don't don't think they're quite right. What are some practical tips that that you could deliver? Yeah, yeah. So even if you even if you're not sure of what that might look like or how it is, we always say trust trust your gut. It's going to be something. If if you notice over a period of time that they're not doing the activities that they would normally do, there's thought changes in their thoughts or feelings or their behaviours. Then certainly being open to having that conversation is the most important thing first, and doesn't have to be one of those things where see the person the next time and say hey, I notice you're not doing great. Is everything okay with you? You know, it might be you've got some time to go through the approach phase and be able to say, work out that you're going to go catch up with a person, have a coffee, sit down, have a coffee, have a chat about some things and then say, hey, I also wanted to check in with you and see that everything's okay because recently I've noticed that you're not playing the sport you might normally play or engaging in the activities you normally do. Notice some changes in you being late to work, or that you haven't quite been yourself. Is everything is everything okay? And and as we say, for that person, depending on who they are, they might not be keen to divulge that information. You know, the first or second time that you ask the question, so follow up's really important too. To person says, no, I'll be yeah, everything's okay. I'm 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 doing okay. I'll, I'll get better. Or those types of responses. You then know to check in again, and it might be the second or third time you have that conversation that someone says, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm not feeling great." Or yeah, I've got a few things that I've been thinking about that take up a bit of headspace in mind that I might not be doing so well. So the first bit is just that that conversation and being able to to ask that. And then of course, if they do say that they are feeling unwell or things are a bit strange for them or there's been some changes that they're not quite coping with always encourage someone to say have you have you spoken to someone about this have you felt this way before for people who it's new to it might be that we want to try and um, encourage them to go and see a gp and say hey next time you're at your gp just talk about some of these changes with your thoughts and feelings we know some of the the mental illnesses can present or manifest themselves in those physical symptoms of feeling sick feeling sick in the stomach, can't sleep, can't think straight, getting headaches. Saying all those things to a GP might lead to blood tests and blood pressure, all that type of stuff, checking that. 
But to say, you know, I've been feeling really down, there's things that consume my mind, I can't bring myself to go and do the activities I normally do, then that's a, that sounds even saying it a lot different to some of those physical things. So encouraging the person, and if it is someone who's suffered from something before, might be the catalyst for them to say, yeah, I haven't spoken to a counsellor or a psychologist for a while, but it might be an idea just to make an appointment and, and check in with them again. And they're the really key components to it, to trying to – and that, that conversation is the most important thing. Like I said, I think particularly us sort of proud Aussies and us blokes will particularly will sort of be, no, no, I'll, I, can, I can punch on through it, I'll, I'll fight through it, I'll be right, but without giving them the opportunity. And, again, it can be second, third or fourth time that you give the opportunity to say, hey, you said you're all right, but – I'm still noticing these things like what's going on? Do you want to have a chat about it? Yeah, which I think I think they're the most important and key parts to it. Yeah. And that's great practical tips and process there, not just for mm. those that need to deliver that, but people that are actually listening to this episode that might not be feeling quite right. That yeah. gives them a good a, a good kind of process to go through as well. And the first thing is is see a see a professional, see your GP. And I love that point around and we talked about this in the mental health first aid, is a lot of people kind of go to the doctor and say, I'm not feeling quite right. And they do all those observations and go, oh, just rest or this or that, or they might misdiagnose, but really being vulnerable enough to actually say, hey, these are some of the other issues. I've cried a little bit more recently, or I've been a little bit more emotional, or I've had some tremors, or I've been breathless, or some of those things that that will allow the doctor to hopefully diagnose or obviously provide better treatment than if you just go with some of those physical yeah definitely definitely and and yeah it, it all comes back to those yeah thoughts thoughts feelings behaviors are, are way different to headaches nausea all those types of things it is what you're thinking and and what you're processing through and yeah for anyone who's this might be the encouragement for someone to once someone asks next time to say yeah i find it really difficult to now go and do whatever activity it might be that they normally do i find it difficult to get motivated to do that and that certainly changes in thoughts or feelings about things and and behaviors might be yeah i used to wake up at five every morning go for a swim or go for a walk i just can't bring myself to do that anymore if it's there might be uses of substances to go yep i've started having a couple of couple of drinks at night just to try and calm the nerves a little bit which we know is is potentially doing doing the opposite and just masking something that's going on so those yeah those key changes in behaviors are those ones that you need to need to look out for and some of those physical symptoms can be a result of those things that, that happen for that person yeah and some of those yeah thoughts feelings and behaviors definitely yeah some of the things we uncovered at the course as well was and i know a few of us talked about it was if you're going to book an appointment, book a long appointment because that will help. And some of the other things is Medicare. There's a Medicare mental health plan that you can get onto as well, which will provide you some rebates and some assistance as well. So there's definitely some things that people need to kind of know. And also, if you know someone that's been through mental health, asking for a referral on a good GP that actually, I suppose, specializes in that as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and and good point. Yeah, some of the some of the GPs can sometimes be an issue if you've got a regular GP that you see regularly. That's a that's really a good thing, and you'll have that relationship with people. But yeah, really good point. If you are going to see a whether it be a bulk build GP or a new GP or one you don't see regularly, then then asking for that longer appointment is really important. If they do need to conduct a, a questionnaire to 
check out your eligibility for the Medicare mental health plan, then yeah, definitely that does take a does take a little bit of time. And from a few experiences from course participants, particularly younger guys who would indicate that potentially the, the quick bulk biller didn't have time and might have said, Oh, you know, that's you've you're a young fella, you've got a few stresses and you've just started working and you finished school and you've just moved out and you've got rent and you've got a partner for the first time and they might just be some of those things that are that are impacting you. So certainly being able to then have that time to talk about those thoughts and feelings in a, in a longer appointment, get the questionnaire done and get access to that plan, which can be we have cost as one of the barriers for people seeking help. So being able to get some subsidy or sometimes for some people, particularly younger people, it might be might be free access for a certain amount of amount of visits as well. Even employee assistance programs at, at work might be that you can't get in to see a counsellor or psychologist for a while, but you might be able to pick up the phone as part of your employee assistance program and speak to a counsellor fairly much straight away and being able to have that resource, um, which, is, which is really handy as well. So it's, it's that encouragement for people to know that you're not one in 1,000 and it's going to take forever and cost you your life savings to go and see a psychologist once. And that's that's where the mental health first aid helps break down that stigma as well with some of the tools you, you can get then to be able to tell some of the people some of that information, which can be yeah really helpful. So we've spoken about mental health, mental health first aid. Yeah. I kind of want to segue in that and it's, it's very, uh, I suppose, relatable and relevant yeah. in these days with technology social media is your work with Dolly's Dream. I sort of fell into that one, which was which was really good. Certainly probably the, the catalyst was my kids starting to get to that age of phones and the, the constant battle with particularly 14-year-olds who it's sort of one of those things where if you try and remove it or take it off them, it's almost like well, that's how everyone communicates with each other. So you're actually taking something away from them when you when you sort of feel like you're trying to do, do the right thing. And certainly for me, it's more of that putting that encouragement back on the kids to say, hey, there's some really important times where you need to acknowledge that, whether that be at dinner time, driving in the car, when we're away on holidays, that you need to acknowledge that they're really important connection times. For us, we'll definitely give you some leeway in other times that you might want to do it, but knowing that that's, that's really important as well and some of those risks that that come along with it particularly for and certainly always surprised going out to schools and particularly from we, we do preppies all the way through and even to sort of grade grade ones and twos and say straight away okay who's who at home's got a device that they look at regularly and you know even some of the teachers will sort of be like oh my god like have most of these kids in grade two got an iPad that they look at for hours on weekends and it's like that's that's the reality that's where it's at so we need to teach them about being kind at, at that point and, and I certainly it, it can be hard sometimes for me where you might feel that particularly grades 10 11 12 that might have missed the boat in trying to do that because it's it's not ingrained but it's happening with that group to which I like to then say to them hey you're going to go out into a workforce where you don't want this in your workforce as well and it's something that is is present in workforces that there there is bullying that happens and if you feel that 10, 11 and 12 that you might be in control, how are you going to feel then when you go into the workforce and it's a 
30, 35 or 40 year old doing that to you and trying to teach them the premise of, of being kind. And the presentation really is around, and I, I always say it to teachers, I say, by the end of the day, you'll be sick of me saying, we've got two choices, one's to be kind, one's to be not kind, but it is just a repetitive thing. And to say, when you have your phone and when you send that message to someone, whether it be personally in a group chat, whether you comment on the photo on social media, it's not your fingers that put the words in there. It's here that puts the words in there. So you've got a choice. You can choose to be kind or choose to be unkind. And certainly telling the story around Dolly taking her own life at, at 14 due to this happening is guys have to understand there's a serious impact to it. There's a great video that we, we show through the program that's essentially, you know, a girl receiving those messages, but people around her actually physically throwing rocks at her while she's receiving the messages. And, and a really good example of, you know, your words can hurt. They might only be words and they might not be rocks, but you're doing as much damage saying those things. So certainly from the younger ones, they're probably the ones that we can have a lot of impact with to say, hey, when you start using some of these platforms, then always being kind means that hopefully one day we get to the point where there isn't that level of, of cyberbullying. But for some people, it is that whether it makes them feel better by doing it better than the other person to and that it's, that it's semi-faceless. There's no interaction straight away or there's no consequence straight away for sending that message that someone else is getting on their phone somewhere else. So yeah, probably went on went on a bit there, but it's it's really impactful stuff. And essentially, it is around just being kind. You've got a choice to say the horrible comment, and and we do go through a little bit of difference between banter and bullying. Like banter with your mates to say you've got skinny legs. Clearly, you skip leg day at the gym. Like between mates and close people, it's a bit of Aussie banter that goes back and forward. But to post that on someone's social media that might be a few years younger than them have a real impact on that person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. So what are what are some things that parents should know? Oh, um, definitely information around what is age appropriate for apps, I think is important. And that always, always varies. For me, I think it's about having that open and clear communication around what they're using. It shouldn't have to ever be that you have to, that a that anyone should have to secretly look at something to try and find out what's what's going on, having those regular conversations. And for most younger kids, it starts with something like Messenger Kids where we know of kids that are in grade four that have a Messenger Kids group chat. So at that point in time, they're communicating with each other. They're sending messages to each other. So trying to have the conversation to say, okay, what are some of the things you talk about in that message group, did you want to show me some of those messages you get? Are you always being kind? No, we need to promote. And most importantly, trying to call some of it out if you see something that's that's bad. And, and that can be one of the sticking points for kids who say, oh, I can't go and say anything to the bully because then I get bullied. And that's not the only way that you can become an upstander. It's, you can check in with the person directly who's being bullied to say, hey, that seemed really horrible. Are you okay? Did that have an impact on you or if the person's close to you who's done it to say hey mate i don't reckon that's really cool and i don't reckon we should talk to each other like that can be something really simple and it's one of those unfortunate things where it's it's the minority of people who choose to do it and the majority don't feel comfortable to be able to say something and it's like if the majority were saying something regularly and even in the group chats to say hey that's not cool i don't think we should talk to each other like that 
one person saying it to 40 and then 39 people say, hey, yeah, we agree, this, this isn't how we want to talk to each other. Hopefully the one person won't do that or next time they try to do it, 39 others call them out and go, hey, this is not how we talk to each other um, and we can't do that. So, yeah, for parents it's about knowing and knowing what the apps do, how they do things. The eSafety Commission has a really great website. It lists out almost all of the apps and games and stuff that kids will play or use and actually goes through, gives a really good description of them, what age restrictions there are for it, how to report things, how to block things. And I'm always I'm always surprised in a good way that a lot of the kids will say, yep, I've had to report someone before or I've blocked someone who's sent me a strange message. And that's another good tip for parents to say, hey, if, if there's something essentially that makes you feel uncomfortable in your stomach, come and tell us and we'll work through it and you might need to block that person and not give up too much personal information. But again, I think it's that communication and education again. Like even for me, it's trying to trying to catch up the four steps ahead and by the time you do those four, it's another four ahead of that as to, you know, what apps are out there and what it's used for. So, yeah, so just that education and knowing knowing what potentially they'll use and I think the statistic is I think most most kids will receive some form of sexting message or inappropriate message by the time they're 14 for the first time. So it's, so it's something that's out there and, and happening. And, you know, again, for most parents, that's a, well, I'm not sure how they would because they only have messages on their phone and maybe one social media account. And it's like, well, do they have Snapchat to communicate messages? Oh, yeah, they do, but they only type stuff. And it's like people can send them a photo. Do they do they have Messenger Kids? Yeah, people can send photos on Messenger Kids. So it's not that they may want that or engage that, but that, that sort of stuff is happening. So, yeah. A lot of the impact, I think, in teens is very much around what these platforms have actually delivered to people. They don't manage it. So I look at it yeah. from a Facebook perspective, right? So before you're 13, you just change your birth date, right? Yeah. So one of the yeah. key things, and I think not just from a, a youth and a, a team perspective, is these platforms should actually be more responsible in proving who they are, like who the person that has the account is actually the person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, YouTube's a great example of that. The, the age at which someone can own and have their own YouTube account, yet you'll see kids that are, even kids that are making money from YouTube accounts that, that are well under the age of which they're supposed to have a YouTube account. So, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely that. And the potentially things that they put in apps too, like getting streaks and those types of things, meaning you have to send 100 snaps in a day to keep your streak is beats us as to why that that's something that's cool. But it's what they try and do. And I think we spoke about similar experiences of just going photo out the window, photo out the window, photo in the house, like a photo of the microwave. It's like, what's the context of what's the, what's behind sending that? And it's like, oh, I've got to keep the streak together. And it's like, okay. So yeah, we have a different world to us. And we had that when we were overseas and my, my son, probably 13 at the time. And he's like, dad, can I borrow your hotspot? Because I've got to get my streak, got to keep my streak up. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and even one of my kids who said they were going away on camp but had friends who were leaving their phones because they couldn't take their phones behind with siblings to make sure they could keep their their streak up while they were away. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I always say that. But, you know, their, their response is that's the way we communicate with each other. We ride to ride a bike down the street to mate's place to see what they were doing or see what they were up to. But, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's so easy for them to have that access. 
technology's definitely gone a long way from the Tamagotchi to now the smartphone. Exactly. Yep. Very, very long way. Yeah. And, and, you know, it all starts out with, you see it everywhere, shopping, shopping centers with prams with iPads stuck in the, in the front bar. And that's a keep you entertained while we can go and do the shopping. And that's starts, starts so, so early with videos and movies and things. Yeah. Yeah. So you obviously conduct some courses for parents and kids. Yeah, yeah. So, so from preps right through to to twelves is our is our in school program, and then we also do a, a parent session as well. Just about an hour and a half session. I don't I don't think I've ever kept within that time, just based on the discussion that comes out of it. And it's like, hang on, what did you say? Did you say did you did I hear that correctly? And it's like, yep, unfortunately, that's that's correct. And and even stats around cyberbullying, like it's only one in seven um, children or young people will actually say something in fear that they'll have their device taken away if they say something. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's a battle to get them to say, hey, this is this really nasty thing is is happening to me. So again, some of those stats are good for the parents to turn around and say, okay, well, we've got to be better and say, you know, how's how's your communication online? Are you always kind? Have you ever received something that was unkind? How'd it make you feel? What'd you do about it? What do you think we can do about it next time? So so a lot of it is around that encouragement of find things out if you don't know what TikTok's for TikTok is currently rated 13 plus yet I'm sure there'd be lots of kids under 13 that are that are watching TikTok or get flicked a phone from someone else's account and and look through TikTok so and what we as parents through algorithms and phones listening to pops up in our TikTok and in what we see and in our feed so if the kids are you think the kids are just having a quick flick through TikTok to see cool stuff it might that might not be the case as well so yeah so the parent session is is really good just to give all that information i think for me even as a deliverer sometimes it's like yeah this this information is stuff that we didn't expect to have to know but you've really got to keep up with it yeah yeah it's interesting when we talk about the platforms they always choose revenue over social responsibility yep that's it yep yep absolutely so yeah which is a real shame and you hear of the move for kids to less be less and less on the phones, the younger ones, to try and have particularly seen older siblings and what they do and how they've operated. But I, I think that'll be a while to see if that's actually the case. Yeah. I think you'll find anything that's removed or any restrictions that come in, it'll just be another app that pops up or something yeah. else will be introduced. If you take something away, something else just takes its place. Yeah. 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 So, so absolutely that open communication about. What it is, what they're using, how they're using it, I think, I think is so important as opposed to, I don't know enough. So stop doing that, which I think is sometimes a, a parent response as well. Yeah. One of the key things I wanted to ask you on in the mental health first aid course, you said, obviously, as a men- mental health first aider, one of the key things is really self care as well. I wanted to ask yeah. you all the work you do with Dolly's Dream, you're instructing courses. Tell me, what does Wade do to look after his own <laughs> mental health? Yeah, I, I do it fairly well, but certainly at times I don't do it as well as I need to. That certainly come, that realization comes from having been previously in those roles and certainly not looking after myself in, in, in doing that, which is similar led to burnout and not, not coping so well with, with the stresses of life in general. So, but now, yeah, it's re- it's really important to, and I'm lucky I've got people around me who, you know, I'll sometimes preach to them that exact 
message, she'll then turn around and go, hang on a minute, what are you, what are you doing to do that? I'm still playing, playing AFL, still playing footy, so won a premiership a few weeks ago with our side, which is wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. But certainly playing a Friday night, training on a Tuesday night is really helpful. I, I know and recognise if I haven't been for a swim at the beach or been to the beach for probably four to six weeks, I start getting a little bit cranky and a little bit rough around the edges. So being mindful of that, looking at some of the some of the mindfulness techniques, being able to stop at some point in time and go, all right, not coping so well with some things that are going on, what can I do? Whether that be some breathing exercises or or going through some some mindfulness. I find the mindfulness is is a really good one because it's not a doesn't teach you how to relax or tell you how to relax. It is a it's a it's a focus on something at that particular time, whether it be breathing in through your nose, what feelings you have within your body at that point in time. But instantly, it makes you then not think about all those other things that are going on and all those other other stresses as well. But certainly, yeah, being able to recognise what what some of those things are and being able to to give yourself enough time to be able to do that. I won't always say I'm the best at that, so I'll, I'll tell everyone to be much better at that and we'll work hard to, to be better at that. But, yeah, I'm certainly lucky to have people around me and, and, and even the kids to constantly tell them and talk to them about it. So they'll pull me up sometimes and go, well, why would you work so much at that point in time and you're cranky now, so what are you going to do to, to change that, make that a little bit different, So, which is good and, and they're great advocates for what I do and being able to, yeah, it's really, really proud moments when my youngest will come home and say, he'll say, oh, someone wasn't doing so well today. So I asked how they were and how they were feeling and how that makes them feel. And yeah, so that's, so that's really good. So they're starting to get that. And I think that'll be important for them as they grow up to do it. I always have this thing, talk it out Tuesday, where at dinner, we'd say, all right, how are you feeling about things and what's going on in your life? And what's some of the stresses? What's some of the, some of the things you need to, need to work on better? So, yes, it sort of became a funny thing to go, oh, no, it's Tuesday, isn't it? It's Talk It Out Tuesday. But I think at an early age, if they can get an understanding of feelings are okay, you can own your feelings. If you're not feeling great, talk to someone about it. Talking about it gets it off your chest, makes you feel better straight away. So, yeah, so it's, so it's good for that. So, yeah, I've certainly got those people around me to, to pull me up from time to time to say, yep, you need to need to practice what you preach a little bit. So, But um, it can be the work, certainly, even the, the two days delivering the you know the mental health first aid is is quite taxing there's still parts of that i find really difficult to deliver based on personal experiences so that can that can be draining as well so it's a matter of taking some time to to settle and do something that night at the end of day one or certainly at the end of day two anyway to to keep well yeah otherwise it'd it'd have a, a greater impact i think than what it does yeah yep now, through your life, through obviously growing up, through your work with elite sport, student op- accommodation, through your work, through workplaces and different roles, tell me when you think of success, how's that changed through your life to, to where you're at today? Uh, from, from my personal experiences, it's probably more so about, yeah, living in the moment, keeping yourself keeping yourself well and, and I, I suppose not focusing on, you know, as I say, I think if I look back 10 or 15 years ago, if someone said to me, you're going to have three redundancies, you're actually just going to jump in the deep end, get this accreditation, work a few jobs casually or part-time, I would have gone, no, I have to have a job that incrementally increases every year in pay so that I can pay the bills and save for things and do these types of things. So I think some of that becomes certain 
less important and, and spending more time with more time with the kids. Everyone always say, you know, everyone says to you when they're young, it's like it'll disappear and then, yeah, one of mine's 14 in January and it was like, I remember when I was 14 and I wasn't too far away from driving a car then and finishing grade 12 and going and doing stuff and I'm like, that's four years away. So, all right, I need to <laughs> need to make sure that whatever we're doing and, and staying in tune with that because, yeah, it does go it does go by really fast. So, yeah, uh, uh, certainly, certainly a really big change from what it may have been previously and I think and certainly having done some work through Sharia and through Luminate with just some core value stuff and getting back to when you make a decision on on what you do and become so much more in your life decisions around if you'll go somewhere or if you'll go away somewhere or if you'll do something with a group of people all comes back to you know your values and some of those key things and does does that align like what what am I going to get out of it as as a value and I and I didn't I didn't have that for a for a large period of my life so I'm glad that I have that now yeah and got to the point of being able to do that so that's good I think that answers you hopefully that answers your question yeah I call them non-negotiables, having those non-negotiable things that, that you have to have in your life that rain, hail or shine, you do them. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So keep keeping yourself well and, and healthy and yeah, exercising, doing all those types of things are really, really important to yeah, make sure you do the right things. Absolutely. Now, a question I like to ask each guest is who's been your greatest teacher or had the most impact in your life? Um. Good question. Probably, probably a couple of people. I'll obviously say probably my dad's been one of the main ones. We grew up mostly with dad growing up, my brother and I. So dad was always a really hard worker and would always, uh, I was thinking back about it, about my youngest who's probably going to start playing in representative sporting teams and all those types of things. But dad probably worked his backside off to make sure he could send us to sporting carnivals, drove us around every weekend. My brother played cricket, I played footy. We both probably did those. So I think I think back in those days you had one weekend off between AFL going into cricket and then vice versa. So, you know, he was always encouraging and always did everything he could could for us. Yeah, which is so probably probably him and one of my one of my managers at at UQ that I had worked there for a couple of years and she became the CEO of the organization and and was really probably gave was the first person that in my work life gave real autonomy to to be like hey I'm confident in you that you know what you're doing so go and do some things like I'm not going to tell you what to do and how to do it if it doesn't work out then you learn from that and you do it better next time and so just having that influence and and that leadership and being a really really strong and awesome leader I think was was probably one of the key people as well that really helped out with that and set that pathway probably more a um you know creative sort of creative sort of being so sometimes in those sort of stifling environments of now we've got a process to work within is sort of a bit bit mind numbing and sort of racks the brain a little bit but yeah so certainly being able to get that freedom and, and autonomy and that that someone to give you confidence to go and do what you can do so yeah they're probably t- two pretty pretty key people yeah yeah awesome I want to ask, knowing what you know now, what would you say to a young Wade growing up? For oh, um, hard one, I think it. I think it would probably be to take in more what's going on around you. I think. I think 
probably went at a fairly fast pace when I was when I was younger. I tried to do everything, be everything for for everyone. Which certainly, you know, had its issues throughout life uh, as well, and probably had a had a negative impact on a few close people in my life. But yeah, probably just to slow down, stop sometimes, and just make sure that. What's going on around you is the most important thing that, that you focus on. And and those values, yeah, if I had have had that key conversation around, hey, here's some of your core things when I was younger, that probably would have guided things in a in a different direction. But yeah, we're here now and I can I can go through that now and be able to be able to live that and know what's know what's really important, which is good. Yeah. That's some great tips for all of us there. Yep, hope so. <laughs> Anyone that's wanting to reach out to you, Wade, interested in uh, obviously doing the mental health first aid course, inquiring around some of your work with the Dolly's Dream, whether there's some of my school contacts or people listening to this that are kind of wanting to attend a parent session or reach out to you, what's what's the best way? Yeah, absolutely. So Informed Mental Health is is my business. Um, so delivering the mental health first aid plus some abridged mental health programs. So some shorter sort of four-hour sessions or one-day sessions as well as part of that. Dolly's Dream is, is more direct contact through to Dolly's Dream. They've got a great inquiry form on their website and Amy and the team at Dolly's Dream will, will get back in contact with people straight away. If not, they can shoot me an email, wait at informedmentalhealth.com.au and I can put them in contact with with the key people which is which is one of the I had put a post on LinkedIn recently from a Dolly's Dream session and actually had a few people that I went to school with that were teachers and went we've been meaning to organize it now that we've got a contact can you get us in touch with the people so I'm doing a couple of those as well so yeah so yeah either directly through to me which is which would be which would be fine and then yeah we can get it sorted out yeah for those anyone yeah listening and 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 wanting to get your workplace more skilled and being able to assist people in your workplace and by all means look up some of the stats around decreased leave increased motivation at work increased happiness at work by having mentally healthy workplaces you know some of those stats and even around productivity are really important and that's just having people around who know how to respond which is which is great yeah yep awesome well wade thank you very much for joining me it was amazing doing your mental health first aid course you're an amazing instructor some of the tips the insights that you've given through today's episode i think are really going to help people some of those practical tips not just for parents with the dolly's dream but also practical tips for those that maybe you know encountering mental health or experiencing someone that may have mental health symptoms. I think they're going to take a lot away from today's session. So just keep doing what you're doing. You've inspired me to to keep going further with the mental health journey and look at becoming an instructor and, and kind of joining the team to to fight the statistics. Yeah, that's it. No, awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to looking forward to that. I might even make a guest appearance and pop in at your, at your training and um, see who's see who's taking that. But no, hopefully, I know I always feel like I waffle on when I'm talking and things. So hopefully, that was really helpful. And yeah, so so privileged and and fortunate to have met you during that course. And yeah, I'm sure it'll those key connections with people that have a lot of substance. I'm sure there'll be bigger things to come out of it in the future. So thanks so much for for coming along and thanks for thanks for having me. On the podcast, yeah, it's been great. No, that's all right. No, it's been been awesome. All the best with the rest of Mental Health Awareness Month. Cool. No worries. Thank you. Thanks, Wade. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Maybe just one person you think could benefit from what was just shared. Also, if you haven't connected with me yet, you can find me on Instagram at the Steve Hodgson and also share underscore underscore podcast. I'll catch you on the next episode.